1: Inflation, shrinkflation, greedflation, price fixing. These are just some of the topics in the news of late when it comes to food, the ever increasing cost of food. Hello, I'm Brian Lilly, and this is the Full Comment Podcast. I don't mean to depress you right now talking about food and how much it costs to feed yourself and your family, but it is a topic of discussion nonetheless. Now, before we get started, on this most vexing of topics, I do want to ask you a favor. On whatever device, whatever app you're listening to is on, please hit the subscribe button. Make sure that you get every episode sent to you as soon as it, as soon as it's available. And tell your friends about us, so the riveting conversations we hear, have here at the Full Comment Podcast, conversations like the price of food. The topic is coming up everywhere, and it's little wonder. We all have to eat, and it's getting more expensive. Uh, if you heard about the latest Stats Canada report on inflation, Sounded like good news. Inflation is cool, down to 3.4%. But food inflation remains high. Grocery prices going up an average of 9% compared to a year ago, and for some products it's even higher. Oils, like canola or olive oil, up 20%. Bakery products, up 15. Cereal, your cornflakes is costing you 13.6% more than a year ago. So what's causing it and how do we fix it? It's been the topic of some discussion among politicians, some looking for real solutions, some looking to grandstand. And of course, we've got the government's just introduced grocery rebate. Will that help? These are the questions I want to put to Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor. Sylvain is a professor of food distribution and policy. He's also scientific director at Agri Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University in Halifax. But today, he joins us from the Food Center of Canada, perhaps Quebec City. Sylvain, thanks so much.
0: it's certainly the capital of tourism right now for sure i'm doing doing well
1: um and and you know after you told me about being in quebec city i'm just thinking back to some of the wonderful meals i've had there the restaurants are great
0: Oh, yes. And affordable, too. It's surprising. Service is great. Lots of people. Uh, we were out in Old Quebec last night, and my goodness, uh, the, the place was just jumping. It's it's great to see people back out there. It is quite warm. It's very hot right now in Quebec City, but people are enjoying the great food, enjoying the great company, and it's nice.
1: The, the issue of food in inflation, this is something that you and I have talked about before. You've done so many interviews about it. Uh, we've listened to the politicians talk what is driving up the the cost of food is it just supply chain issues is it global uh, inflation generally is it the the greedflation that we've heard so many politicians jump on i think for you know calculated partisan gain
0: Oh yes, absolutely. So, this is what happened, Brian. When you politicize the issue of food inflation, on the one side, you see many people accusing businesses, accusing even individuals, (laughs) individualizing food inflation, like what we saw uh, against Galen Weston, for example. Uh, And also, you have governments uh, giving money to people to cope with uh, with food inflation. So it's it's a bit messy out there. The fact of the matter is, is is that we are looking at the agri-food system, and the reality of agri-food business is that uh, it, it's always been a high-volume, low-margin environment, and so – When things like COVID happens, when Ukraine happens, uh, when you have uh, the weather not playing along uh, all around the world, uh, and of course, supply chain issues have actually impacted uh, the efficiency of food systems, uh, you end up uh, seeing a slew of factors just pushing prices higher. The, the thing that uh, that I think has been underappreciated in the media is that because you are in a low-margin environment, you can't just jack up prices all at once. Uh, you have to incrementally increase prices as salaries go up, the price packaging go goes goes up, and a lot of the a lot of different things actually are more expensive now and. And we're we're feeling it. We've we've been feeling this uh, inflationary heat at the grocery store for quite a while. And it's going to last a while. So if people are saying, well, Ukraine's over, the Ukrainian effect is over, COVID has been over now for a while, supply chains seems to be – supply chains are are doing better, which is all true. But at the same time, you're also seeing companies coping with higher costs no matter what. But you can't really just – force your way through the supply chain and ask for more money. It just doesn't work that way overnight. So you have to kind of incrementally increase prices over time, which is why now the gap between food inflation and inflation is over 5%. And so that's why people are still upset with food prices in general.
1: I've seen this coming for a while. I remember it was about two years ago, speaking to a, um, a farmer from out west uh, who was very happy on the one side that his commodity prices had gone up. Uh, he was getting more p- per bushel for his wheat, but all his inputs were going up, and sometimes at a faster pace. So his, uh, you know, whether it was the, the fuel uh, to run his, his tractors, his cedars, whether it was the uh, fertilizer, which definitely due to the war in Ukraine, uh, the cost of fertilizer went up uh, depending on when you purchased between two and four times what you had paid the year before. This is, I guess, slowly trickling through the system would be part of what we're talking about here.
0: Not necessarily, Brian. You see, farmers are dealing with price-taking economics. So you basically will take the price the market will want you to, to get essentially. And so on the one side, as a farmer, you hope for the best. You hope that your, that commodity prices remain high and that your input put costs remain low, but that's rare. That's very rare. And that's why often farmers do experience a, a bad year. Last year was actually pretty good. They actually were able to, uh, to get decent contracts. Input costs were higher. Some of it had to do with uh, the economics of distribution but uh, as you know Brian uh, they had to pay tariffs due to uh, measures against Russia yeah and so those measures really impacted farmers and uh, what what was really unfortunate is that mr Bibo actually promised uh, farmers to uh, to reimburse them because it was about $34 million. And $34 million is quite a lot of money for farmers in particular because you can't get that money back uh, by selling higher. That's what price, price-taking price economics are all about. And so, unfortunately, they, they were never reimbursed as a result. So, But still, overall, it was it was a very good year. They had to put a lot of money in the ground to make some good money. This year, my guess is going to be an okay year, but it's not going to be as good as last year.
1: Let's deal with the, the hot issue in the media of greedflation. There there was this idea that Galen Weston, um, the I, I can't recall, is he retired or it's about to take effect? He was the president and CEO of Loblaws, um, recently announced he's stepping down. He's the guy in the yellow sweater from all those no-name ads. He's
0: stepping down, but he remains chair, so he's still going to be around yeah. for sure.
1: Well, and the family's still going to own it. But there was this claim that Galen Weston and these other supermarket executives who nobody knows quite as well, you know the names, but uh, most people wouldn't know who they are. The claim though was that, well, these guys are just being greedy and they're gouging customers. And when you see, I saw a jar of jam the other day, something I don't buy that often, but I still know what around what the price should be. And it was $7 $7 and 49 cents for what I used to pay under five bucks for no wonder people say, Oh, they're just being greedy there. They're gouging me now, but you've looked at greedflation. You've looked at this idea that it's just gouging and you've said, Hmm, the facts don't back it up. Why? And how do you say that?
0: So, uh, are grocers making good money. Of course they are. Uh, I actually do believe that, uh, that Metro empire and Loblaw, blah. The big three, as we call them, uh, are are very well-managed companies. But if you look at financial reports over the last couple of quarters, you will notice that companies, grocers, aren't really making money selling food. Loblaws would be one case. So Loblaws is made almost two billion dollars last year, which is a lot of money for Loblaws. And 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 was it a record profit year, profiteering year? It was absolutely. So so to say that they are making retro profits is not necessarily wrong. But if you look at the last quarter, Q four. Uh, you'll notice that uh, Loblaw's food sales have gone up by only 3.1%. 3.1% while food inflation was well over 9% for the entire quarter. That means, Brian, that they're trading water when when, when, when it's time to sell food. They're making money selling drugs, uh, pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, clothing, real estate. Their banking program is doing very well too. That's how they're making money. Sobe's is another example. So if you look at Empire's financial results in the last quarter, just the one that was reported a few weeks ago, they actually sold uh, during that quarter $16 million less of food compared to the same quarter last year. In other words, people are spending less on food at the grocery store. Not more. They're retreating with their wallets. They're going to dollar stores. They're buying different brands. They're trading down. And why they're trading down is because of mortgage rates. It's because of rents. To keep a roof over your head, you cannot trade down. It's harder to do that unless you move or you get somebody else to move in with you. And that's why people are trading out the uh, at the grocery store. That's why I think. It's it's the opposite of deflation happening. It's tougher to sell food to Canadians. Uh, there's no money to be made just selling food right now, unfortunately. And but a lot of people don't want to believe it and will not want to believe it.
1: That's why you've got so many stores that uh, that have the pharmacy on the inside or uh, the dry cleaner or you know they they want to have uh, beer and wine on on the shelves next to the food. That's
0: right. And in the province of Quebec where I am, I mean, if, uh, grocery stores right now are making a lot of me selling beer and, and wine. I mean, that's really what is is helping their bottom line. In, in, in other provinces like Ontario, it's starting, but it's been very challenging just selling. The food business of the grocery business has been particularly challenging.
1: Is it um, – so basically, profit margins on food are staying the same. They're, they're, they're stable, but – they are not great.
0: They are not it's it's not good business right now. Uh, on the other hand of course I've been quite as you know Brian I've been quite critical of criminal behavior. There's no I don't think anyone should tolerate companies breaking the law. I mean there's no there's a hard line there for sure. So as much as I believe that there is no greed or greed is difficult to measure in the first place uh, as much as I believe that some executives in Canada should have gone to jail by now. I mean, let's be honest.
1: Well, let's, let's talk yeah. about this then. You've got um, the uh, one of the players in the bread price-fixing scheme admitting wrongdoing recently. Their parent company, Group Bimbo, owns Canada Bread yeah. now. Canada Bread admitted to on four different instances, working with Weston, which owned at that point both Loblaw's and, um, they had the what what was their bakery called? It was George Weston Bakery, but I think so, it was wh- well Canada Bread was 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 with Maple that's Leaf, right. but I, I think it's mostly Wonder Bread is what the the Westons that's
0: produced. right. It's Western Bakeries.
1: Yeah, they admitted that they fixed prices on at least four occasions. Now Loblaw's and Weston they they have not admitted publicly to what they're doing in the same way because. They agreed to cooperate with the the competition bureau, so they got immunity. So we don't know all the details, but Canada Bread admitted to price fixing with Weston on four occasions. All the other grocers, Empire Metro, um, I believe the Giant Tiger Group, others, Walmart—they've all said we have, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. We're not admitting to anything, but the investigation goes on. We're talking over the course of the years that this was going on years. you you believe that it was going on longer than what was admitted to in in the court settlement um how much did this hit the average family the fact that the price of bread went up o- only pennies only pennies per loaf but pennies that it didn't have to go up it was price fixing um and You've done the calculation. What what was the hit to the
0: the family budget? Yeah. So when uh, when uh, Loblaws and Western Bakeries uh, admitted guilt back in 2017, uh, in 2018 we were asked by the Competition Bureau to uh, conduct an analysis on that particular point. Uh, how much uh, did this uh, alleged price fixing scheme cost Canadians? And and fr- and they also ask us whether or not it was possible that uh, there was this scheme going on for 14 years. So so to answer your question, Brian, we actually believe that the uh, that the 14 years where we believe there was this price fixing scheme going on, it would have cost uh, w- we believe it would have cost anywhere between 250 to 400 uh, per families for f- over 14 years. So, but.
1: And so then you do your own calculation based on family size. If it's a bigger family, yeah. you probably paid more, smaller family, less. $400. That's not insignificant. No, it's
0: not insignificant. But here's the here's the challenge. Uh, you know, the, the To me, the group of bimbo um, and, and mission was incredibly important because all of a sudden you do link this scandal to uh, the number one meat processor in the country, Maple Leaf Foods. Uh, and they're not just, they weren't not just in bread, they're they're in meat. And they there they was an email circulated recently in the media written by Michael McCain.
1: I, I, I've, I've got a copy you saw of it, it, yes. You
0: saw it. Uh, mm. and, and there are comments about about this one category, which is meat, which is a very important category for Canadians. And so what went on there? What was the price fixing culture at Maple Leaf during those 14 years exactly? And those are questions that are still pending. And, and I think Canadians deserve an answer. And, and to me, to me, there's, there's a big difference between coping with food costs or the cost to manufacture food, which is inflation. We've talked about that earlier versus breaking the law. And, and that part, to me, is so damaging to the food industry. We've been talking about you know, attracting companies like Aldi and Little in Canada to come to Canada. Why would they ever invest in Canada when when they see these headlines suggesting that there is this boys club uh, working together on fixing prices? I mean, that's just not yeah. good for business.
1: I, I want to read you the, the email that was sent. Um, it was from the person who was then the executive assistant. It was sent from her account, the executive assistant, to Michael McCain while he was president and CEO of Maple Leaf Foods, and it was signed Michael. And in the email, it said it described how uh, McCain had met with a then executive uh, uh, Metro grocery chain, and that they discussed how to manage category profit up. And it said, consistent with the position that he took on the last bread price increase, his point of view, and it's a very vigorous point of view, is that this is an acceptable strategy and they're aligned with it even in our meat categories. That's directly from the email. Now, Maple Leaf Foods says... They've not been involved in any of this. In fact, they dispute why uh, the new owners of Canada Bread admitted to doing anything wrong. Metro says they did nothing wrong. But that's the email that the Competition Bureau has. And the Competition Bureau is now looking into uh, all these other grocers and in their own statement, they said they're looking at maple leaf foods yeah, as well.
0: absolutely. so I, I do I do question why the email was written in the first place. <laughs> That's one thing because I don't think I would put something like this on email uh, if if I if I intend to do something like this, but
1: uh, the plain reading of it is fixing prices. I mean they they can dispute it, but a, a reasonable person looking at that email would say, well, wait a minute. Um, they they want to do with meat what they did with bread.
0: I I have every reason to believe that uh, that price fixing in Canada has been normalized in the grocery industry. Let me give you one other example. In the fall, every fall, Brian, uh, grocers ask suppliers to freeze prices for three months between November and January around the holiday season. Uh, All grocers do the same thing. They call it the blackout period, you may have actually heard about this term, but the blackout period Mm. has been a practice for years. And the argument uh, to support the blackout period is that, well, it's the holiday season; it's very busy, can't change prices of items uh, on a daily basis, so let's freeze prices to make sure. But when you actually start thinking about how that practice could impact retail prices, it is really, in my view, uh, a, a, a up the stream, upstream collusion, really, because you're basically setting new market conditions that could severely impact retail prices in the end. And last fall, when Allahlah decided to freeze, its prices. Metro came out saying, "Well, we do that every year. It's called a blackout period." And I go, and I went, "You're actually admitting that you're colluding upstream. Is that what you're? Is that what you're doing?" <laughs> and they actually backtracked and blah blah and denied uh, the existence of blackout period. So again, I actually, and I've been in, I've been yeah. following this business for 25 years now. I, I do think that that the Canadian food in business has a price fixing problem overall.
1: You know, it was uh, interesting. I didn't know about the blackout period when Loblaw announced their price freeze until January 31st (laughs) of last year. And then later I was reading about the blackout period and how it always ends on January 31st. And I thought, you guys weren't going to increase prices anyway until January 31st.
0: Exactly. Well, here here here's the thing. I mean, I know what happened in October when when la announced uh, its price freeze as of as of uh, I think it was October 17th up until January 21st t- 30th. Metro was upset cuz it couldn't do Metro is not La Bla. La is a massive organization. It has two private labels that are very well known, very strong private labels. Metro doesn't have any of that, so they got upset and they came out uh, and said to media, "Well, this is something we all do, by the way." And it came out wrong, but nobody—I I felt nobody picked up on that. I, I certainly did. I thought, "Well, geez, this is this is a problem. You're now normalizing." price fixing. That's that's what I heard.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Okay, so we, we've, <laughs> we've got pretty? to take
1: a break, and, and I'm exasperated uh, already. We've we, we, you know, talking about price fixing, but there's also the issue of competition. We just had the Competition Bureau yeah. release a report saying uh, the government needs to act to bring us more competition. I'd like them to act on price fixing first, but we'll talk about what, if anything, the government can do um when we come back after this break so a lack of competition or some say too much and an issue around price fixing what can government do to deal with this anything can anything be done uh sylvan you've been studying this as you said for about 25 years Uh, this is the first time i remember the competition bureau really making a big stink about something and on in any industry the that's consumer facing um and it's still taken, what, six years, seven years. Um, is the Competition Bureau the right, is it set up properly to deal with issues like price fixing or what more could the government do on that side? Uh,
0: you know, I think it lacks focus. Uh, I've We've actually had the pleasure to work with the Com- Competition Bureau on, on three occasions. The first one was the bread was on the bread scandal. The second one was when uh, Empire bought uh, Farm Boy, and the third one was when uh, Empire bought uh, Longos uh, in Toronto. And so, and of course, every time we a- we are asked whether or not this will compromise competition in in the landscape, and so I actually do think that the competition biggest problem is not necessarily. Uh, Not having enough power or authority, it's very much about focus and, and scope. So let me give you an example. So when we actually had a chat about Farm Boy, we didn't see an issue because we thought that this could actually leverage a good brand for the GTA because Farm Boy was very much in the eastern part of Ontario. So this could.
1: It it was an Ottawa store that, uh, when I moved back down to Toronto, I desperately wanted it to follow me, and it did. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. So you you got what you wish for for sure, and 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 that's exactly what's what's happening right now. Farm Boy stores are opening up in different places, which is great. I mean, it brings more competition. Uh, Two years later, we are asked again to have a chat with the bureau uh, about uh, about Longos and and i i, I kind of said to the bureau you know this conversation about longo's kind of changes our conversation that we had two years ago about farm boy because you're you're seeing a second major independent grocer disappear I, honestly i don't think they understood what i was saying uh, cuz they kind of really they kind of took note and that's about it With this particular study this year, they came back to us to talk about independent grocers. So I think, Brian, you're reading this right. It's the first time really that the Bureau really took the food industry very seriously and competition very seriously. Now, to see the Competition Bureau saying that we need more competition is a bit of an oxymoron. Of course, we all need competition. I mean, that's – but the reality with Canada is that we have a – ill relationship with the concept of competition we want crown corporations we want monopolies we want consumers to be protected until prices become an issue and then we expect government to fix the problem and they can't and so that's kind of the dilemma that we have in the United States there is a lot of collusion going on and and we know that but people go to jail and there's lots of consolidation as well but The commitment towards competition is pretty darn clear in in the U.S. I mean, people want competition. In Canada, it depends. And that's why we're facing the dilemma that we're facing right now when it comes to the role of the Bureau itself.
1: In their report, the, um, uh, the Competition Bureau, in their report on the need for greater competition, did say that international grocers may be holding off because it's pretty tough competition in the Canadian marketplace already. Do you buy that?
0: It's... I mean, you have oligopolies with only two players in Canada. I mean, that's... Uh, and we have five uh, in Canada.
1: You you think it's... You, you think it's... Uh, we, we have five players in Canada? Well, we,
0: you got the big three, plus Costco and Walmart. Okay? Those are non-Canadians, uh, Canadian firms, but they're still they're There's both Costco and Walmart are now selling more food than Metro, so uh, so they're significant players. But my my um, my take on competition is, is pretty simple. Um, on the one side, make Canada more more of an attractive market to invest in because right now it's not. It's we have interprovincial barriers. Our fiscal policies are pretty ridiculous. Uh, rules between provinces change on labor immensely. I mean, look at the last 10 years we've lost. I mean, Target came in and out overnight almost. Uh, Nonstrom left.
1: <laughs> we hardly got to know
0: exactly. them. And uh, you know, Lowe's left, uh, Sears left. I mean, it's tough to be a national player. Walmart, when it came to, to Canada... In 1994, when it bought Woolco, they didn't have like 400 stores. They actually started with like 20 stores and they gradually augmented their network of stores learning about Canada. So they started in Ontario and then they got into Quebec and they were really, really deliberately slow in deploying uh, their strategy in Canada and it paid off. I mean, they understand Canada, but it takes time. It takes time. Do you think at Aldi and little have the same patience? No, it's, it's, you, you, yeah, have well, I was going to ask
1: you about them. You know, my, my family in Britain shops at Aldi, my family in Florida and Texas and California, they all shop yep. at Aldi. Uh, Aldi's in, uh, Australia. Yep. They're all over the place. They're across Western Europe. The, we don't have them.
0: Why? Well, and people will say, well, we're not, we're, not a, we're not a big country. We're only 40 million people. But the last time I checked, Australia has a smaller population, and they do have Aldi. So so the one thing, Canada can be made interesting. Uh, it's just right now, all each province will have its own set of rules, and it's really not helping. And the second thing, again, going back to the bread scandal, these headlines aren't helping either. If you go to Australia, they're very, very—they go after criminals very, very forcefully. So that's one thing. The second thing, uh, I think the code of conduct is is necessary. Uh, it's it's something that's been in the works for qu- quite a few years. I've actually advocated in favor of the code of conduct. I've actually helped the bureau on on this on this issue as well. And in the code of conduct, for people who don't understand what it is, I'll keep it as simple as possible.
1: I, I, I know the scanning code of conduct, but I, is this one for the grocery industry instead of just the, the, the one about prices?
0: It's more for uh, supply chain discipline. Because right now, Brian, if you're um, Lasson, if you're Pepsi, if you're uh, Unilever, you get letters from... Grocers telling you, "Well, tomorrow we're going to charge you more for listing fees, for marketing fees, for unilaterally." Over the years, we've seen many decisions uh, made by grocers, and they can get away with it because if you're if you're if you have a problem with say blah blah, you have to suck it up. I'm sorry to say, uh, but that's really how things work in the food industry. You're at the mercy of of grocers because you need them to do business and the code would offer a safe place to go for everyone to resolve disputes. I'll give you one concrete example. Two companies in the last two weeks have called me. They're being delisted by a grocer. I won't tell you which one in six weeks. So in six weeks from now, they are gone. Okay. Think about that. So you have a company; they're in the juice business, both of them. They bought their ingredients. They they they're they're using a lot of credit to get all the stuff they need to make juices, to make their beverages. And now they're going to be stuck with all that inventory because they just lost their number one customer. So I'm not disputing the delisting part. Grocers can do whatever they want. They can do business with whoever they want. The six weeks, though, is completely cruel, and it could actually it could actually force both companies to go under within within a month or two. As a result, wow. that's been the kind of things that well, I've seen, anyways. That should stop as soon as possible.
1: Uh, do you think that you know this code or other measures could, uh, you know, if, if the right measures policies are taken, could make Canada attractive to a Kroger? a Trader Joe's, an Aldi, to say, you know what, maybe we don't go across Canada, but maybe Trader Joe's uh, sets up in Vancouver instead of everyone going to the store just across. Maybe Aldi starts going into southern Ontario or Kroger goes into Quebec.
0: Well, Australia and the UK both have a code of conduct similar to what we're talking about now. And so there, there I, I think it would help. It would help because as, as a grocer, let's say you're Aldi uh, and you, you look at Canada, if you see that there, there is this existence of a code, you know for sure that Loblaws won't try to kill you. Because, I mean, it's, that's really why I think the code could make the Canadian food landscape more competitive over time. Not overnight, over time. It will take probably about a decade.
1: Wow. In in the meantime, what do you recommend for for families who are looking at the ever-increasing cost of of food? Because that 9% food inflation isn't going away. Um, I, I learned to shop from my mother back in the time when inflation was, uh, the last time inflation was a huge issue in the early eighties, uh, shopping the specials, going around, doing all of that. Um, and, and I've written columns on, on, on how to save money at the grocery store. But what, what do you say to families frustrated with, uh, the price of food, the cost of it and, uh, in, in, feeling helpless at, at the thought of a, another trip to the grocery store?
0: Well, I guess two things. Uh, one Consumers have more power than they think. Uh, they can actually influence prices uh, daily by by tr- if something if you're up at the grocery store and something is is too expensive for your budget, chances are there's some there's a substitute in that same store that can do the that can do the trick. And so and if if you if you recall that those those five. Breasts of chicken uh, that were overpriced. Uh, it was actually on Twitter a while back, and people were upset. Well, guess what? In the GTA, the week after, uh, chicken breasts were twenty percent off because nobody was buying. Were buying them, so we have more power than we think, really. Secondly, my biggest concern about food affordability in Canada is not necessarily linked to food prices. It's actually uh, linked to um, mortgage rates. I actually do believe that mortgage payments are absolutely killing Canadian households right now. Uh, if you have a mortgage of three hundred thousand, which is a modest mortgage uh, in Toronto, for example, Vancouver, and more to size over twenty-five years, you're basically paying seven to eight thousand dollars more just to keep a roof over your head. Which is why people are spending less at the grocery store. But there's so much compromise you can make at the grocery store. So that's why I think we're reaching we're slowly reaching a tipping point here when it comes to food affordability. And and that's why I actually do think I've been advocating I I'm a capitalist. I believe in capitalism. I believe in wealth creation, but the one thing that we have to recognize is that capitalism hasn't been great in sharing wealth equally. And so that's why I think we need to start thinking about, you know, a, a snap program a la canada uh instead of just sending out checks and grocery rebates and hoping for the best that's it can just only make things worse unfortunately so we need to be strategic about food affordability and right now i i'm afraid we're not
1: all right sylvan thank you very much for your time wise words as always listening to uh uh to you um and we'll we'll talk again soon i'm
0: sure take care brian
1: Full comment is a post media podcast. My name is Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to full comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon music, listen through the app uh, and help us out. Give us that rating, leave a review, tell your friends all about us. Thanks for listening until next time. I'm Brian Lilly.